It's good to be with all of you this morning. Welcome to uh, Harrison Hills Baptist Church. If you're here for the first time, or maybe this is your, your visiting and you've been here just a few times, want to welcome you uh, as well to our church. We're so thankful to be here, to have you, to look into God's Word this morning, and to uh, worship together. I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 93. Psalm 93 is going to be our text this morning. The title of our sermon is A King's Clothing. A King's Clothing. And we'll be looking specifically at Psalm 93. Let's take a few moments and read Psalm 93 before we pray and pray before we begin our time in God's Word. Psalm 93, the psalmist writes, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from old, and you are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves, more than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's bow our heads and hearts in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to look into your word. Father, we rejoice in worship and singing. We rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the, the gospel that we find ourselves in through his death, burial, and resurrection, through his shed blood to provide forgiveness for our sins, through his perfect life imputed to our accounts by faith, that we may stand before you perfect at all times, Lord. We thank you for the glory of your word, the power of your word. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would take it, hide it in our hearts, Lord, use it to build our lives, to build our faith, to build our sanctification, uh, to grow us in Christ-likeness and holiness, and to most of all, Lord, that you may be honored and glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was considering what I wanted to do this morning, knowing Adam would be gone and he asked me to uh, fill in for him, uh, it's hard to uh, separate ourselves from all the events going on in the Middle East and uh, the events going on in our world. And if you watch the news for any certain amount of time, which you probably shouldn't, um, it, it, the news media and former leaders and current leaders, everybody has us on the brink of World War III, and maybe we are. It's hard to say. But in light of all these events really consuming the world, and it really becomes a temptation of our hearts if we're not careful to be shaken by this and uh, maybe to be rattled and to be concerned about everything that's happening in our world. And uh, concern is rightful, rightfully had, but um, to be rattled or shaken as Christians probably is not the proper response for us. So what I want to do today is really just to set our hearts on the one person that sh they should be set on at all times, really, but even now in the midst of these difficult times we face, and that's on the person of God. There's no better place uh, to go in Scripture than to tune our heart to the person and character of God than to the Psalms. In the Psalms, we find wonderful repositories of the psalmists writing about the character of God and pouring that out through the experiences of their lives and their fears and their anxieties and their troubles 
and their worries. And through all of that and through all the praise of that and the, the confession of that, we see this wonderful expression of the character of God found in the Psalms. In Psalm 93, we especially see that. It's one of those amazing Psalms that sets God on his rightful throne. Sets God on his rightful throne, and we know that he is king over king of kings and lord of lords, and he will bring about his reign and rule in all things. And that's what the psalmist is saying to us here. You know, in God's creation, clothing is a very defining part of a person and can reveal a lot about a person. Clothing identifies, for example, one's profession. You typically can identify a doctor by what he is wearing or identify a nurse by what he or she is wearing, identify a judge or maybe even a lawyer by what they are wearing. Uh, certainly a policeman or a fire, firefighter easily, uh, for the most part, identified by what they are wearing. Clothing also can help us to uh, identify one's nationality or ethnicity uh, or maybe culture that they live in by what they are specifically wearing. Clothing also can reveal one's attitudes. Uh, torn and tattered clothes sometimes can identify one's rebellious heart, although torn and tattered clothes seem to be the style now, so that one may not work specifically. Uh, suits typically uh, being worn by men or even by women uh, designate uh, respectfulness, dignity, professionalism. Oftentimes we wear black during times of mourning, and you can identify someone who may have lost a loved one and be in a time of mourning or even at a memorial or funeral service. So clothing can reveal a lot about uh, individuals, can be reveal a lot about who they are. It can re reveal a lot about the individual. It can even define in some ways that individual and who they are. And this is certainly true in Psalm 93, really here as the psalmist describes God in terms of what he is wearing in terms of what he is clothed in. Scripture is replete with descriptions and definitions of the character and nature of God, and it's hard to even turn a page without seeing uh, the character and nature of God being revealed. But the Psalter communicates the defining elements of God with powerful illustrations. That's part of the power of the Psalter. They make the intangible tangible. They make the intangible the character and attribute and nature of God tangible for us. And Psalm 93 really accomplishes this very thing. The psalmist here in Psalm 93 defines the person of God by not just describing what he's wearing, but being very specific by putting God in a king's clothing. A king's clothing. Why is that? Well, because God is king. He is king of king and kings and lord of lords and he is the sovereign one over all creation. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He's the ruler. He is the sovereign Lord. And this is true throughout all eternity. And in Psalm 93, the psalmist powerfully brings this truth to light, putting God in his kingly garments, in his kingly vestments. Not that God, as we know, physically wears clothes, of a king, although one day we know Christ will, but the clothes here are an analogy. They're an illustration. They're to put tangible scenery on God, tangible clothing on God that tell us and display for us his glorious 
attributes. In many ways, his clothing in this psalm define him for us. Listen, so that we may worship him, and even beyond that worship, so that we may not be shaken in tumultuous times. Because God is king, and he is king over all. This morning, what I want to do, and this will be our outline, is reveal to you six kingly garments that define God and call us to worship him. So in Psalm 93, we're going to see six kingly garments that define God and call us to worship him. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 93 again. The first kingly garment we see here is the robe of majesty. The robe of majesty. The Lord reigns, the psalmist writes, he is clothed in majesty. We know earthly kings are set apart above their subjects by what they wear. The kings, earthly kings rather, wear glorious crowns. They wear kingly vestments. They have a signet ring which official documents are signed with by the king, making them official They have a kingly robe that projects majesty and rule and authority. The psalmist uses this vivid imagery to define here the person of God. At the beginning of verse 1, he says, he is clothed with majesty. The ESV may say, if you're looking at the ESV, he is robed in majesty. Majesty is his dress. Majesty is what he wears. What do we mean by this term majesty? When you see it in scripture, what is the writers of scripture referring to? Well, majesty refers to loftiness, to a stately dignity, to supremacy and sovereign authority. Clothes of majesty uh, include all of these descriptions of majesty, but ultimately when a king is wearing these clothes, we see this picture of an imposing force. Because he alone is king. His stature alone presents a powerfully intimidating presence far above everything as a king over his subjects. So if a king uh, who rules from a certain land and his kingdom extends to the far lands all over the earth, his rule, his majesty, his authority extends far beyond to all of those lands because of his majesty and rule. For a king, no atom, no molecule, no hair, no drop of water, certainly no person, certainly no enemy is outside of his control. And this majesty, as the the psalmist writes here in Psalm 93, is more than just for show. It's more than just to picture his stateliness No, this majesty is an active majesty. It's not in word only. We know the writer in John and 1 John talks about love is not not in word only, but also in deed. Well, it's the same concept here that his majesty is not just in word, but it's also in deed. We see there in verse 1 again, the very first phrase, the Lord reigns. As a majestic king over all the creation, he reigns over his dominion. Nothing gains life, nothing dies out of this world without his knowledge, without his full control. No earthly king exists outside of his rule. Once you are the king, you're the one in authority. 
Everything is under you. You do not exist outside of that authority. And when we're thinking of God as king, wearing his kingly vestments, even for every human being, every lot that is cast into the lap is from God. And we know the specific example as well, that God sits on his throne in heaven and the earth is what? A footstool for his feet. We know at the account of the end of Job, and Job finally um, questions God, and God's had enough of Job questioning him about his circumstances in Job 40, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? So God is the one who we serve and worship for, first of all, he wears the robe of majesty. Second of all, not only the robe of majesty, but God is, wears the kingly garment. He is, wears the robe of strength. The robe of strength. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. So not only is he clothed with majesty, but he's clothed with strength. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. The ESV actually, I think, says uh, the Lord is robed, strength, uh, strength as his belt. His kingly garments include strength. He relies on no one, nor anyone's strength to exercise his rule. It all comes from his own strength. God, as king, relies on no armies of men. God, as king, relies on no horses, no chariots, no weapons. He relies on his strength alone. This should bring comfort to his subjects. People at peace, people confident, people strong at all, because knowing that God is strong at all times on behalf of their peace and protection. Not only is he clothed and girded with strength, but we know ancient Near Eastern men wore long robes. We know that was part of their dress. And these robes would need to be pulled up for times of action. These robes need to be pulled and fastened around the waist to prepare for work or to run or to go into battle. We know oftentimes that was done with a belt. They girded themselves for pre in preparation for action. And God here, his, his um, vestment of strength is not, again, not just for show, but it's in preparation for action. God is acting always, ongoingly, eternally for his creation and for his people. He is robed in strength. In fact, we see that strength in action right here in verse 1, don't we? Look back at verse 1 again. We see his strength in action right in the middle of the verse. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. How do we know God is strong? How do we see God's strength? Well, we know that indeed God is the one who established the world. He established it firmly. It will not be moved. In his strength, God firmly established the world. It will not be moved. The creation is stable, is all brought forth by his strength. It is all kept by his strength. Nothing will happen to it without his sovereign judgment. Man cannot move, 
God's enemies cannot move the world off of its firm foundation. God's strength not only brought the creation forth and keeps the creation stable and where it is, God's strength is also seen in his justice. Psalm 96 verse 10, his justice throughout the land. And at times we see the world seems to be chaotic, doesn't it? It seems to be chaotic like it is right now. And uh, we see the, even the concept of justice diluted in so many people's minds. And through this chaos, we wonder, well, is God really strong? Is his strength really reigning and ruling? And God's patience sometimes and his quietness sometimes was questioned by other, others in Scripture. The great Charles Spurgeon, who was not a writer of Scripture, but we know of his ministry, he said this about God's justice through his strength. God, clothed with strength, often hides his strength, waiting for the cries of his people. Then he prepares his strength and moves in on behalf of their cries. So the Lord, who is he? He's robed with strength, always at ready for his people. The third vestly garment is this, the third, rather I should say, kingly garment. He is robed with eternality. He is robed with eternality. God is eternal. He's always been, he always will be. Look at verse 2. The psalmist writes, your throne is established from of old. Again, we see the reigning power of God and he, his reign will never end. He's reigning now, although it may seem he is not. He is reigning now. Here in verse 2, first of all, we see a reference to a throne. The psalmist writes, your throne. We know a throne is the seat of power. All kings have a throne. That throne is a seat of power from which they rule. But God's throne is different from any other throne on the earth because his throne is eternal. It always has been and it always will be. His throne is eternal. It is established from of old. It always existed. It always will. He always is reigning. He is always is ruling before time, before creation. And once the creation has reached its consummation and rebuilt, God will still be reigning and ruling. This is because he is eternal. He is from everlasting. You are from everlasting. Your throne is from of old. He is eternal in nature. He sits on an eternal throne. He has an eternal kingdom. And listen, it will never be shaken. It will never be shaken. I don't know about you, but this is the God I want to serve. This is the God I want to worship. This is the God I want to know. One who is eternal. One who will rule forever. He is robed with eternality. The fourth kingly garment is found in verses 3 and 4. The fourth kingly garment is this. God is robed with power. He is robed with power. What king do we know who exists without power? Kings and rulers inherently possess power. There is no rule without power. God as almighty king is robed in power. It is part of who he is. He executes his divine will through the power of his being. There's no stopping him in this regard. How does the psalmist describe his power? He uses an amazing analogy within this analogy of kingly vestments, of the king's clothing. He uses an amazing analogy of his power here, the power of a flood. The power of a flood. Verse 3 says, the floods 
have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Verse 4, more than sounds of many waters, more than the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. He is mighty. How does the psalmist describe his power? Through the analogy of a flood. We know that a flood has massive power, and once it starts, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. The psalmist here builds the analogy from start to finish. We see in verse 3, the floods have lifted up. The floods begin to rise up. Then we see the floods build steam, and they now, the second part of the, the verse there in verse 3, the floods have lifted up their voice. They, they become audible. We hear the audible noise of a flood. What an eerie sound of a flood coming down through the valley of the mountains or through the rivers to begin to destroy everything in front of it. And then we see the floods produce pounding waves. Then we see the power building as the flood builds. In verse 3, the floods lift up their pounding waves. And then in verse 4, we see the analogy shift more than now the sounds of many waters. So now the flood is at its maximum peak, its maximum height, and it is devouring everything in front of us. And then he shifts in some sense to the, to the ocean, more than even the mighty breakers of the sea. And here mighty breakers would refer to um, 30-foot waves, 40-foot waves, 50-foot waves, 75-foot waves, more than the mighty breakers of the sea, the power that is unleashed through the floodwaters and the breakers. And what does the psalmist say? More than these. The Lord on high is what? He is mighty. He is mighty. Thus more than the power of flood, more than the power of the mighty breakers, the Lord on high, he is mighty. This is your God. This is who you serve. This is who you love. Imagine the most powerful flood. We know what the most powerful flood on the earth was. It was the flood. And God executing that flood through his divine will, obviously he is more power even than this flood. We see pictures and videos of tidal waves and all the things that they do and destroy. We see the pictures of flooding that happens throughout the world when the mighty rains come. Uh, we didn't see the actual flood when it happened, the flood that God brought, but he is mightier and more powerful than them all. God is robed with power. This is his nature. Is there something that we should not trust him for? Is there something that we should not trust him with? Should we not be at peace even during these tumultuous times? We should. We should. The fourth kingly garment was clothed with power. The fifth kingly garment is this, robed with the truth. Robed with the truth. Verse 5, your testimonies are fully confirmed. God's very nature is truth. He is clothed with and clothed in the truth. God reigned, his, the king's Kings reign with the rule of law. We know this, earthly kings, that's part of what they do, or at least they are supposed to do. They are to uphold the law. They are to 
uh, reign and rule with the rule of law. They are to uphold law and justice and for their people and even for the most oppressed and for uh, those of society who need it the most. That, are, that is a part of a king's duty as king. Truth is built into the position of a king. But earthly kings, due to sin, may or may not fulfill this responsibility. They may or may not sit in the seat of truth. However, we know God is king, will not, and does not fail in the truth, for he is truth. He cannot exercise his will outside of the truth, for it is his very nature. He is truth, and his word is true. Verse 5, the psalmist says, your testimonies are fully confirmed. This word testimonies here simply means laws, decrees. The word of God are confirmed. They are searched out and they are found to be reliable and true. They are examined to the fullest extent and found to be true. And that trueness, that confirmation also means that God's truth matches with reality. His truth is not set outside of what actually is. It is rational in what is experienced. And it applies to the entirety of his word, the entirety of his scripture. God is truth. He is robed with it. This is his essence. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. God is, the tr- God is truth. Part of his kingly vestments is that he is robed with the truth. A sixth kingly garment is this, verse 5 again. Your testimonies are fully confirmed, we've seen. The sixth one is this, holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. He is robed in what? Holiness. He's robed in holiness. This last garment, no earthly king possesses. Only God is holy. Holiness befits your house. God's dwelling place is holy. Thus he is holy. His dwelling place is holy because he is holy. He is holy and pure, free from any moral defect. This is what we mean by God's holiness. And he is holy, meaning he is majestic. He transcends all of his creation. There is nothing higher than him. He stands far above everything created. He is exalted above all things. Holiness is his entire being, his laws, his actions, his judgments are all all holy as he is holy. And as holy, completely free from sin. Completely free from sin. Knowing these six garments, how should we respond? How are we to respond? We are reminded to worship him as the king over all. As the king over all. Some responses as we worship him could be his lordship. Maybe we need to be submitting our lives, submitting ourselves in a greater way to his lordship over our lives. To make him lord and worship him that way. Maybe there's an area of your life you just haven't quite given over to him and let him lead and rule in it. That's one consideration. But we also, secondly, need to be encouraged by this. 
It's amazing in the day we live in, what's happening right now. The context for this psalm is that Israel is surrounded by her enemies. Well, that's a vivid picture for today, isn't it? We've probably read this psalm many, many, many times. But never has the context been so clear to us than it is today. We need to be encouraged. For the Israelites, when they read this psalm, surrounded by their enemies, they were comforted by the fact that they have a great and powerful God who is their God and who cares for them and who has made covenants with them that he will bring to pass. And we know God delivered them oftentimes in powerful ways and he delivers his people in powerful ways. So we should be encouraged by this. We should be encouraged that in the midst of these very unstable times that God reigns and rules over all things. And as his people belonging to the church, we should be encouraged because God is sovereign, he's majestic, he's king over all, and he will bring every promise to pass concerning you and concerning me and concerning all of us. We should be encouraged by this. We should walk out of this service today, no matter what we face today, tomorrow, this week, what we hear in the news, we should know one thing, God reigns. God reigns. And he loves us and he cares for us and he sent his son to die for us. Every kingly garment confirms this. His majesty, his strength, his eternality, his power, his truth, his holiness, all confirm his authority, power, holiness, his will, his love for us that he will never forsake. One important thing that we need to focus here is on his truth. Verse 5, he says, your testimonies are fully confirmed. His promises are sure. He will, they will come to pass. We need to remind ourselves of this constantly, ongoingly, every day. John Piper says, if we don't remind ourselves of what God said about himself, we will languish. Our minds will focus on the false if we do not focus on something greater. And that's the truth of God about himself. The truth of God about himself. So beloved, this morning I ask, are you thinking about the truth of God? Are you thinking about who he is? Are you focusing your heart and mind upon him? If you're here this morning and never believed upon the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we encourage, I encourage you this morning to believe in the gospel. To seek out the gospel. To know that you're a sinner. That God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. To be raised from the grave. To pay for our sins. To be the complete and ultimate eternal sacrifice for sin. And we apply that atonement on our behalf by repenting of our sin and trusting him by faith. And if you haven't done that this morning, we encourage you to live in the gospel for it is God's truth for us. And you will know God and see him and he will be your king and you will have his peace. And so we encourage you, we implore you with the gospel this morning. If you're not sure about that, we encourage you to seek somebody out and talk to them more about the gospel. And for all of us who have believed, for all of us who are in Christ, we need to be encouraged this morning and reminded about the fact that God is king. He is on his throne. Nothing surprises him. He will keep his promises because he is truth. And his justice and righteousness and holiness will prevail. Let's bow our heads and hearts in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. Psalm 93, 
which elevates you in our hearts, which brings us back, Lord, to trust in you as the sovereign God that you are, the one reigning and ruling over all things. Father, may we focus our minds, focus our hearts, our attention on this truth. Today, tomorrow, throughout this week, every day as we go forth, that we worship a glorious and mighty and true God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.